The word of our Lord from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what they had, for what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man. Who do they say? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and that he must be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts and to our minds. And we pray that you would help us to hear and to obey what you have to say to us through your word. Help us to follow where your son Jesus, the Christ, leads. And in his name we pray. Amen.
we don't like suffering. You see that up on the screen here in a moment. And if you're having to write that down, then maybe you're not really realizing how obvious of a statement that is. We don't like suffering. We don't even like inconveniences. We like things painless and convenient for us. Real suffering hurts. And oftentimes it hurts not just our bodies, but it hurts down deep within our souls. It seems to take a part of us. We avoid suffering almost at any cost. In fact, in the West, we've even developed an entire theology around the avoidance of suffering. We call it the prosperity gospel. Pure heresy. It's a false gospel, but unfortunately, it's taken Atlanta and its suburbs by storm. Because we don't like suffering. We like to be told that it can be avoided. We like to think to ourselves that we can skirt suffering. That there's a a medicine for everything. We comfort ourselves reassuringly. Bad things only happen to bad people. If we only have enough faith, we can avoid this thing called suffering. But God uses suffering. He takes it up as a weapon. And in so doing, He is able to slay the enemies of our souls. The cross, the most easily and widely recognized religious symbol in the world, the emblematic banner of the Christian church. It also happens to be perhaps the greatest symbol of suffering imaginable. So great was the suffering of dying on a cross that we had to invent an adjective to describe it. Excruciating. (coughs) That which is likened to crucifixion. Our banner, our emblem, our symbol is one of pain, one of loss, one of defeat, one of suffering. G.K. Chesterton spoke of the cross as a great and mighty sword that God has thrust into the earth inviting earth's fallen race to come and to find redemption in it 
in the suffering of the cross. In the pain, in the loss, in the defeat, in the death that occurred on the cross. The problem is that we don't like the cross. At least not as it really is. Why do I say that we don't like the cross as it really is? Well, because the cross means judgment, rejection, and abandonment. To be on the cross is to be alone. To be left To be despised. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. And we don't like sorrow. It makes us very uncomfortable. It tells us that there's something terribly wrong. That's actually a good thing though. C.S. Lewis said that pain is like a megaphone that God uses to rouse a sleeping world. But we don't like to be startled by suffering. We don't like the startling thought that comes to mind when we think of the cross as it really is. The cross sprinkled with blood and torn flesh. We don't like the cross because of what it represents. It it means submission. To be on the cross is to be weak. To be helpless. And to be defenseless. One who is crucified cannot save himself. For he is pinned to the cross and can do nothing. Surely our Lord could have come down off the cross. Surely he could have called for legions of angels, but he chose not to. He chose to embrace the submission that is the cross. He chose to embrace it in its weakness. He chose to embrace it in its helplessness. He chose to embrace it in its defenselessness. We don't like the cross as it really is because it means death. And if we don't like suffering, we really don't like death. We don't like to think about it, and we certainly don't like to be reminded of it. Every year when Ash Wednesday rolls around and we've got that providential appointment, 
to have ashes smeared on our forehead and to be reminded you are of dust and to dust you shall return. We get a bit uncomfortable. And if we look in the mirror, we realize that's a a cross on our foreheads. No, we don't like the cross as it really is because we're too much like Peter. Never, Lord. That will never happen to you. In our verbiage, Peter would have said something like, not on my watch, Lord. I won't let that happen to you. Notice, though, that it's right after the last words that Jesus had uttered before Peter's rebuke was that the Son of Man would rise from the dead. He would resurrect on the third day. And yet Peter cannot get the image of the cross. He cannot get the thought of death, the thought of pain and suffering happening to his Messiah out of his mind. He cannot cope with it. He cannot deal with it. He cannot wrestle with it and come to grips with it. And so he declares, it will not happen, Lord. I won't let it happen. And so Jesus quietly and politely reminds him, you're not thinking like God thinks right now. Simmer down, Peter. See, we try to pretty up the cross. We try to clean it up. We are gripped and yet repulsed when we see a movie like The Passion of the Christ. And for some of you, that might be your favorite. But when we see it in some finite way as it must have been, we get very uncomfortable. And so we try to simplify the cross. We try to romanticize it to make it pretty, to make it appealing. But the cross is never appealing because death is never appealing and suffering is never appealing. We don't want to see what it's like for we don't like to think of what it really is. The cross is death. It is defeat. It is suffering. But it's only by way of the cross that the world is redeemed. The cross is the only hope for the world. For the cross is the weapon that God used to 
to defeat the enemies of our souls. It's the tool He uses to put the world back together. When Jesus leads His disciples to Caesarea Philippi, He is leading them out of the Holy Land, up past Galilee. To a group of towns, Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar, the emblem of the world's power, and Herod Philip. And Jesus, as he is passing through. Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. He is surrounded by statues of all of the Roman gods. Statues of all of those symbols of power and strength. And in the region of Caesarea Philippi, there was Pan's Grotto, a little garden for the god Pan. And it was believed there was a stream that passed through that grotto, and that stream fed the river Styx, where in Greek mythology, the dead were taken by boat to the underworld. Who do men say that I am? What do they think of the Son of Man? Oh, I don't know, Lord. Some have speculated that maybe you're this or that. But the real question is, who do you say that I am? And Peter utters out, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one greater than all of these idols, the one greater than even Caesar, or the tool in his hand, Herod Philip. You are the Christ, the Son of the one God who lives. And so you can imagine then the disciples remembering that river sticks in Pan's grotto, taking the dead down to hell when Jesus tells Peter, I will build my church upon this, and even the gates of hell itself will not prevail. We think of ourselves as on the defensive. We think of the church as a huddled mass that's just trying to keep life together. 
that's trying to protect itself from the powers of darkness. We're just trying to keep our little light lit because the darkness is so big and so vast and it is so cold and overwhelming. But we forget too quickly that gates are what is used for protection and defense. And so Jesus' idea of the church is not this little huddle of people trying to protect what they've got from outsiders who are going to to invade. But instead, the image that he's giving Peter and these disciples is that the gates of hell itself cannot hold up as you rush those gates to claim back those who are lost and those who are slipping off into a dark and cold eternity. The image is not a huddled church. The image is a charging church. A victorious church. But the church's weapon is the cross. God's weapon. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities. And we wrestle against enemies of our souls and enemies of the souls of men. And God uses a cross to defeat those enemies. Boys, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, it's not going to be fun. That first day when everyone is singing our praises, it might seem fun. It might seem exciting. But don't get caught up in all that because there is pain and suffering and death that awaits me. And there is pain and suffering and death that awaits each of you if you are to be faithful to me. Because if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. I am nothing. I do not matter. What matters is what God wants to do with me. And in that is value. He must take up his cross. Not his inconveniences. Not his discomforts. But his cross. His rejection. His abandonment. His weakness. And defenselessness. His death. And then he may follow me. See, there's a cross that haunts our memories. 
the cross of Jesus. And it's not a pretty cross. It is a gruesome cross. It was a cross of torture and pain and death. It was a cross on which it seemed that the world had won. And there is a cross that lies before us. And it is the cross that Jesus bids us come and take up ourselves as we follow him. And any man who takes up a cross to follow Jesus as he's taken up his cross will soon realize that our destiny is Golgotha's hill. Our destiny is there to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be spat upon, to be rejected. Hell fights tooth and nail. Waging war against hell is not for the faint of heart. It'll cost us blood, sweat, and tears. In the end, it'll cost us everything. But it'll be worth the price. Because whoever loses himself for my sake, Jesus said, only he will find himself. Like death, suffering is not something we should seek out or hasten on. However, like death, it is something that cannot ultimately be avoided. And when it comes our way, I said when, not if, we must surrender to it well so that the Lord can transform that suffering and make it into a gateway for eternity. You see, the world gets to see Jesus when his people take up the cross as he did. The world has hope only in the broken body of Christ. We must be broken. We must be spilled out for our neighbors and our families, the people we work with, the people we play with, for them to ever find the love of Jesus. When the church takes up its cross, as Jesus did, when the church embraces what seems to be weakness in the cross, when the church suffers well 
there's hope for the world. One of the church fathers from the first couple of centuries of the church said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Only by the way of the cross will the world be redeemed. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to respond to you, we pray that you would prick our hearts We pray that you would waken us from our slumber. That you would open our eyes and help us to realize that we stand in the shadow of the cross. And that cross invites us to come. To deny ourselves. To die to ourselves. To die to our sin. To die to our sense of control and power and dignity. So that we might find salvation for our souls and so that we might be able to offer the world salvation for its souls. Lord, would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Would you lift us up where we need to be lifted up? Would you push us and prod us where we need to be pushed and prodded? And Lord, would you help us to respond faithfully and unreservedly to the leading of your Holy Spirit? In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.